Welcome. Uh, we have another episode of Well Adjusted here. Uh, my name's Levi, and my co-host, as always, is Jonathan. And one day you're going to replace me. I- I've-, I've seen you eyeing those other podcasters down at the coffee shop. you got a wandering <laughs> eye, young man. Just asking some friendly questions with some collaborative efforts. We know the talking leads to touching. touching. <laughs> we know what the touching leads mm. to. Yep, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Getting hot and steamy on this episode. What film are we covering, Jonathan? Uh, a, a classic. A classic. A, a classic, yeah. A, a classic. An 80s classic, mm, of course. Uh, no, an unqualified classic of the genre. It, I mean, look, any movie that spawns 200 sequels yeah, has to be a classic. To. That's right. And, of course, we're talking about Children of the Corn, adapted from a fantastic short story by Stephen King. That's right. Screenplay not by Stephen King. Well, originally Stephen King wrote a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, was uh, rejected by the production company. They brought in somebody else to rewrite it. Still based on his story. And uh, now we have the movie. A fantastic movie. Uh, made in 1984 for a very low budget. Uh, I think it was something around like a <laughs> million dollars. Like they literally had no budget. No, that's, um, that's no money at all. It was not in Hollywood. No, it's absolutely garbage. But to what, me, it would be absolute freedom. What do you think that is adjusted? A million bucks? Oh, today, nineteen eighty four to today. Yeah, ten million. Maybe. That much? I don't know. Inflation? I can't do I math. Can't, I don't know either. The good news is, is that economics is, of course, a made up science. So that, that's true. And there's always these myths about what gas prices were like when I was a child. You know, everybody hears those. Back in the day when it was 83 cents. That's something filled with lead. That's right. That's something that's actually in the short story of this of this film, too. They talk about how they know that they're in a town that hasn't really been uh, lived in for uh, for some time is because the gas prices are so low at the at the gas station. And of course, we're talking about what's the what's the name of the town? Hold on. I am so Gatlin. Gatlin. It's Nebraska. As the as the uh, the harbinger, the guy who tries to warn them not to go to Gatlin says the Gatlin guy. Uh, them them, them Gat, folks in Gatlin got religion, and that's a phrase they that, sure do. And that means something special. Like in certain, when somebody says that folks got religion in that way, right. That means you want to stay the hell away from yeah. those people. It's like they've. They got religion. They got nothing else. Um, yeah, or it's like saying scary. you know those, those folks got Ebola. You don't want to go down <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Didn't even think about it as a like, as a contagion. Yeah, contagion. Um, this is not the first film adaptation of Stephen King's short story, and I am ashamed to say I did not know that. I didn't either, though. Um, I don't, unless you're like really a, a genre nerd. I don't know if too many people know that the the um, the name of the film was not Children of the Corn. It was Disciples of the Crow. And it was made in 1983. That's really all I know Why about Why would it. you change a great title, which was the title of the short story, Children mm-hmm. of the Corn, to right. Disciples of the Crow? Uh, I'm going to say copyright issues. I'm going to say cocaine. Probably, <laughs> probably copyright and cocaine. Uh, it was the 80s, baby, you know. But I don't know. I, I, did Stephen King even get... Because I, I didn't research Disciples of the Crow. Forgive me, listeners. I, I didn't know about it. I didn't until look told into me. it. Yeah, um, I don't know if Stephen King was even involved or asked or 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 what. I I would assume not because the uh, again uh, the title change. But. but he would have to have given his permission for them to use the source material at all, or they would have been sued. 
Yeah. Like, I guess so. Yeah, I would think so. It's. I mean, but again, it's the 80s. Things were crazy. He was drinking a lot back then. <laughs> um, Linda Hamilton is in this film. A young Linda Hamilton. Yeah. And she is... Um, am I allowed to say that she's sexy in this movie? I don't... I don't find eighties attractive. If that's if that if you understand what <laughs> that's I'm saying racist. There. No, no, no. It's it's is it ageist? I don't think it's even ageist. <laughs> that's I just that's eightiesist. I don't. Yeah, I don't like the eighties that much. I don't. I don't. I mean, some of the music, some of the films. Of course, we've talked about that. I'm not a but huge wait, fan you don't of the think, style. You, you don't. You don't like the the Linda Linda Hamilton circa Children been, of the Corn. Let me. Uh, it goes real deep, I think. Um, well, the reason I mentioned specifically I that but... I thought she was sexy in this movie is because, you know, the the role that most people know her for is the Terminator movies. Right. Sarah and Connor. She's, and and yeah. she's a beautiful woman, of course. She's an attractive woman and a great right. actress. But in the Terminator movie, she's just a badass. I mean, yeah. the first thing you notice is her being a badass. And yeah. I think you don't so much notice that she's well, to attractive. Me, I watched the Terminator films when I was a kid because of the toys. They really messed up by releasing those toys. Cause that just made kids want to watch some violent R rated stuff. But, but, um, well, it didn't mess it up for them. I mean, that was kind of the point. Well, no, they, yeah, I guess it was, but, um, Linda, but she's so young in this and she's like, I don't know. She's just game for it. You know? Well, Linda, <laughs> Linda Hamilton. I don't mean was for that. Always, I mean for oh, like the, yeah. I mean she, the role. She's a badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but in this movie, she's not so much of a badass. No. Uh, in this movie, she's she's pretty passive and sort of traditionally. And I, I have some things to say I about that. Yeah, uh, but Linda Hamilton always gives off a huge mom vibe to me because I was a child when I saw Terminator and it made such an impression on my psyche and my mind and whatever that. She was John Connor's mom. Like that's it. She's Sarah Connor. Like well, that's I don't it think I've. I think for me. I don't think I've seen her in anything where she was younger than she is in this role. And I didn't look up her her filmography to see yeah. like where this fell in her career. It's really early, you know. Um, it's she. I okay. So I don't really necessarily have uh, many problems with how they portrayed her. It's very. Again, 80s, and so I didn't really expect anything less. But the the difference in the short story and the film are what get me. And this is, you know... Big differences. There's some big differences. Well, that comes up in, in what I read about the original Stephen King screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they hired somebody else to kind of redo it. But apparently there was a phone call between the new screenwriter, whose name I don't remember, whose script actually got used, uh-huh. and Stephen King, and... um. Like the the big point of contention was the new screenwriter was trying to tell him he was like look Steve, film is an external visual medium right and right. your script has it's thirty pages of two people arguing. Oh yeah, it's like <laughs> I read that too. Yeah, where, uh, yeah. Where did I read that? I can't remember which which uh, side. I, I I would say that we're going to drop a link in the show notes, but we're not going to drop. Yeah. Um. At least in terms of presentation, but the core of it's still there. Yeah, it is. The you got some. Creepy religious children who are actually worshiping something far darker, and all uh-huh. the adults he are who dead. Walks behind the rose. By the way, can we just say mm-hmm. he who walks behind the rose is a fantastic name yeah. for a creepy farm demon? Yeah. Oh, farm demon, absolutely best and, farm demon ever. Absolutely, and it kind of you know cornfields already creep me out. Maybe because signs. I don't know. I wasn't that young when signs came Stephen out. Stephen King's so special gift. Yeah, and I'll 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 put money on this. Uh huh. I don't have any money. Um. 
is in is in it's it's finding the creepy in the ordinary. Like it's just a cornfield, right? Mm-hmm. Why should that be creepy? But anybody who's ever been in a cornfield, mm-hmm. it's incredibly fucking creepy. You can't see your way out. Yeah. You know, ten paces in, you're as lost as you can be if you don't if you're not really familiar with it. It is yeah, it is. Uh, it's very disorienting, which like you those know. corn mazes, mm-hmm. you know, that they put up at around halloween yeah in the fall. Oh, yeah. there's one up here yeah yeah we always go to like um i can't remember the name of the place it's one of those farms where you know you can take your kids spend an afternoon and they've got those hateful goats that you can feed yeah hay rides God, and... i hate goats um and hay rides and stuff yeah and then they've always got a corn maze and, and i always have a rule don't you dare go in that corn maze yeah because like we're leaving in three hours and if you're in the corn maze you're not getting out no. not in three hours without adult supervision and even then it's and the place we go is nice. They, they've got the walkie-talkies. They've got you know folks with binoculars. But it never yeah. fails. Somebody gets lost in there every every time. Uh, so yeah, but corn mazes are incredibly incredibly creepy. Um, Stephen King's special gift, I, I do think, is finding those things that are incredibly creep, incredibly creepy in the sort of day to day life mm-hmm. of, of America in particular. Yeah, Americana, Americana. Yeah, if you will. Yeah, he he's <laughs> he's he's pretty. Again folksy you know you keep using that in in a derogatory way levi i didn't mean to say that that one in a derogatory way but you said you say folksy the way some people would be like he had chlamydia (laughs) it's folksy folks i don't mind folksy i guess it's just a particular particular type i don't know but um yeah in the short story they're they're a married couple and they're at each other's throats and it completely changes the dynamic of the story. Yes, because as, as we were talking about earlier, you know, one of the things you get in the short story, because this couple is at each other's throats, is like you get these scenes where the dude's like basically fantasizing about yeah. smacking her around. Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. It's so problematic. Like, it, uh, I didn't like it. And I was like, God damn it, King. Like, you, he, he does this, and this is what I'm talking about with the blue collar hoaxy folksy shit it's but it, just at the it's time so it was true trash. to life yeah i get it but at the time it was true to life i guess and it, it well it does make you like not care one bit about this couple almost but then i don't know if is, i go that far well, well this is what i was about to say is that at first and then king does this thing where you all of a sudden become sympathetic towards a, a terrible person but it's because they're just a real person you know sure they're, they're not, very real yeah they're not perfect yeah but uh, let's talk about Isaac, the the little little preacher boy. Yes, the the leader, the yeah. evangelical leader of the uh, child cult. Yeah, he's played by an actor named John Franklin. Uh, John Franklin was twenty four <clears throat> when he played little Isaac. You're kidding? No, and so that he looks twelve. I know he's got some uh, kind of you know oh like a like a thing. Yeah, I don't know what else to call it. Uh, he's he's got. I don't re- I don't remember what it's called, but it's uh, like a growth hormone disorder. Sure. Yeah, and so yeah, he was twenty four years old when he played Isaac, which was always kind of un- like subtly creepy to me and unsettling. But like, now, but, I mean, now that you tell me that, it explains a lot about how effective the performance is. Yeah, he seems way more mature. Yeah, he's yeah. super intense. Yeah, yeah. And and s- intense in a kind of sophisticated way. Yeah, and even Unlike as, the creepy red-headed dude, mm-hmm. Malachi. Malachi, which I believe is the the bully from A Christmas Story who had yellow eyes, so help me God, yellow eyes. I don't... I'm not 100% sure on that. Same don't actor, me. you mean? Yeah, same actor. Um, but, yeah, Isaac's he's more mature as an actor too. And you can kind of see that 
Um, cause his performance is, you know, way better than all the other children. And I wonder if they auditioned a, a shit ton of kids and were like, this isn't going to work. Well, though, unless we but, find a more mature actor, but for the kids' roles, I mean, you've got Isaac, who is the leader, who needs to be sort of sophisticated and at least appear a bit older and more in charge, right? Right. You've got Malachi, who just needs to be like uh, a sociopath. Right. And we've all met fourteen-year-old sociopaths; like uh-huh. they're not hard to find. Yeah. Right. Just pure aggression. And then you've got the rest of them are just kind of followers. They're yeah. Just like they little are. kids who are doing what they're told. That's not hard to cast. And then no. you've got our. Job, though. Yeah, you've got our two protagonists. Oh, and, and also all the biblical names. It's very Stephen well, King to get well, to get biblical think, with with darkness as well. You but, know. but here's the thing is like, do you think the biblical names are these kids' original names? Or did they rename themselves in cult fashion after, you know, Old Testament stuff well, after they murdered their parents? After they quote that Bible verse about the a child will lead them. Yeah. Yeah, that's believable. I've never really thought about that, I guess. Yeah. I bet they did. I Clearly, bet they, you haven't they, watched this movie the 57 times that I've yeah, that's. <laughs> I guess after you kill your parents, you probably get rid of the name they gave you. That's actually a really uh, interesting point. I, that, yeah, that's probably what they did. Awesome. I mean, I've never guessing. thought about that. Yeah. I mean, I come from Mina, so it's a similar vibe. Oh, man, is it ever. I tell you. Mina. Just CIA's favorite airport. Washita, Washita Mountains. Terrifying. In the film, there's like somewhat of a happy ending. I and mean, our the people we want to survive survive. Yes. So, insofar as that's a happy ending, then yeah, I guess that's a happy ending. I know that disappoints you. Yes. Well, comparatively to the to the awesome juicy ending that is the short story, uh, where uh, Vicky is massacred with her eyes removed. <laughs> And presented as a sacrifice to he who walks walks behind behind the the rose. rose. Uh, The entity kills Bert and demands another sacrifice from his flock, which turns out to be Malachi. And Isaac survives in the in the short story. Isaac kind of survives in this one. No, isn't he sacrificed? No, he's reanimated. Oh, that's right. He walks behind the rose. I guess like juices him up into like a zombie. That's right. But don't they kill him? He was already dead. I know, but how do they get rid of? We well, just burn everything. That's what I thought. Don't they just kill? Doesn't that kill him? Well, obviously not. There's five fucking sequels, but you know, yeah, they do just burn everything. You're right, and that's where the I, I'm. The ending's foggy for me. Why is that? I don't know. Maybe it's because it was late at night when I when I finished it. But well, um, why they, is the ending foggy? I, you know, they you reach this climax where they're you know they're they're preparing for their sort of ritual where one of their group is turning eighteen. Right. right? Is it 17 or 18? It's 18. It's 18. Yeah. One of their group is turning 18. And when you turn 18 in this, this weird child cult, you have to be sacrificed to he who walks behind the rose. Mm-hmm. On a, like a cross yeah, made of some kind corn of cross. stalks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so creepy. They even put a crown on you. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I thought was um, kind of look kind of reminded me of, of Midsummer. a little bit. And so, bit. you know, their, their plan is to just go ahead and throw the, the poor folks who have wandered into their community because they're lost, mm-hmm. Linda Hamilton and her boyfriend, uh, up there with them, right? Right. But of course, they get one of them gets loose, and then the boyfriend, you got to give him props in this. In so many horror movies, they're like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? You know, they, 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 they sort of knock the killer out and think they're safe. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. Bert? Yeah. Bert knows how to handle uh, it's impressive. A, a child <laughs> cult in a cornfield with a supernatural 
bad guy. Burn it all. Yeah. Burn everything Got down. some natural leadership abilities there. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Um, and that's what I mean by happy ending, bro. Like, yeah, I right. get it. It's, it's not Hollywood. only a happy it's ending. 80s, it's like a but... Spielberg family happy ending. Yeah, yeah. Because Bert and – it's Vicky, right? Linda Hamilton's character? Yes, yeah. Not only do they survive, but they take out the only two kids who haven't been corrupted mm-hmm. by this – Right by this weird child, and they're going to like adopt, adopt. Yeah, them so it's now. basically yeah. like it's it's, it's the American <laughs> yeah. the American nuclear family. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> survives the the farm demon. You can say that in any other film. Don't do it in a horror film, but that's that's fine. It's the eighties, and Look, it's a Stephen King film, and I get that. You got to have a happy ending occasionally in a horror movie. I know it. It does make sense. It does. I just I don't find them as effective. And we've had that. that conversation. But they, they are made to suffer pretty hard before they get out. I mean, you know, there's mm-hmm. going to be some therapy. There's going to be some scars, especially those two little kids. Uh, speaking of little kids, they – so they didn't have a lot of money. Again, their budget was literally um, like a million dollars. So for the he who walks behind the rose effect, they they dug a ditch. They turned a wheelbarrow over and – Threw a tarp over it, covered it in dirt, and then hauled it with a tractor to give it that under-the-ground thing. Yeah, I saw reviews mm-hmm. that were hating on the effects in this movie. I liked the practical but effects. But that particular yeah. practical effect, when they're trying to run through the cornfield, and you mm-hmm. never get a look at he who walks behind the roads, oh, no. right? Yeah, no, that's It's just like this, there's yeah, something yeah. <laughs> like lumping under the earth. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was a spectacular practical effect. I liked it. I See, we've talked about this so many times. I love it when there's minimal... Uh, viewing of the monster almost like you know the lead yeah, up to your imagination your but, imagination's always scarier but um so the trench speaking of of kids again the trench that they had to dig to 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 do the special effect was <clears throat> dug by a a group of boy scouts who wanted to see how films were made which i just think is Fucking hilarious! They wanted their Hollywood badge, right? Their, and their filmmaking badge. They wanted. And they showed to up see, and they're like, "All right, boys, here's a shovel." These are all like aspiring filmmakers. They're all going to go home and write their first short film, you know. And they're With handed their a shovel hands yeah, yeah. from shoveling <laughs> yeah. for a week. I just think it's hilarious. I, I don't know why. I just that's just so welcome uh, to Hollywood. Yeah, boys. we uh, dig a ditch. But um, so yeah, this film had more sequels than any other King. Uh, adaption and i think there are six of them i think you're right correct uh um i have i have i am somewhat ashamed to say i have not seen them all jonathan i've seen you i've seen part two and i think part four whichever one is like isaac's return yeah yeah uh okay 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 that's parts that's part six okay yeah yeah um so there is um children of the corn Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice. Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. So, you know, that's got to, you know, they took it to the city. That's like Halloween 3, you know, nobody's going to watch the season of the witch. Doesn't even fit. Uh, Children of the Corn 4, The Gathering. Uh, And then you have what looks like 90s uh, crap. Children of the Corn, Fields of Terror. That's uh, five. And then, (laughs) this is my favorite. Children of the Corn 666, Isaac's Return. Yeah, there it was. That's the one. Yeah, and it's got the and that uh, is the actor who played Isaac. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. the same guy. John it's Franklin, just as yeah. bad as you uh, would expect it to be. Oh yeah. So, so look, I know this isn't your favorite movie, and we're gonna and we're gonna get in. We're just using this, ladies and gentlemen, as a lead in so that we can argue about whether the short story is a valid art form anymore. But before we get there, 
one mm-hmm. thing that I do think the story gets right is uh, just how terrifying and dangerous innocence is. Because in popular culture, you know, when we talk about kids, when we talk about innocence, innocence is, is often talked about like it's a, it's a virtue, like it's a universal good. But, oh, in, but yeah. innocence is mm-hmm. the absence of all knowledge of good and evil. Is it? Yeah, that's what innocence is. Oh, well, I guess it is kind Adam of... Adam and Eve in the garden before the snake were perfectly innocent. It's, um, they had no knowledge of good or evil. It's ignorance. Yes. Yeah. And so you, when you talk about little kids, mm-hmm. that's why you'll find like a little kid who will go from like cuddling a baby bird mm-hmm. to smashing it on the ground. In five seconds. In five yeah. seconds. Yeah, yeah. And then be really sad that when, you, when that. you explain that it's dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what innocence is. It's, yeah. it's the lack of all knowledge of good and evil, which mm-hmm. makes it incredibly dangerous and super creepy. Well, you know, so I've, uh, and that's interesting because we, you and I have had the, the dog versus cat uh, argument where like, I love cats. I get it. Uh, I don't. Uh, Lovecraft was a huge cat fan. Well, I, yeah, of course he was. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I like dogs. I really do. I like their undying loyalty and their utter innocence, dude. And this is where it, that bothers you, right? Like, like. So here's the thing. I like dogs, but you're right. That that innocence does bother me. But let me tell you what really bothers me about dogs. This is a side tangent. Don't offend it, our listeners <laughs> with your dog comment, look, Jonathan. Look, I love dogs. I would never harm a dog. But dogs do a thing that, for me, they can never be forgiven for. I think it's cute. Go ahead. Every time... A dog poops. Mm-hmm. It it locks eyes with you. Yeah. It makes total eye contact, mm-hmm. and it gives you this most vulnerable, right. horrible, eye to eye, soul piercing mm-hmm. connection <laughs> while its little legs shake and it squeezes one out, mm-hmm. and that's not okay. But Jonathan, it's looking at you for protection. And, okay, if I look at my, my human, I know I'm safe. Mm, no. I just think that's adorable, dude. It, I, man, can't, I can't do it. I mm. love it. Like, I don't like fecal matter as much as any other germ nerd, but... This isn't me being a germ nerd either. Look, I've got oh, no, five I'm, kids. I've wiped a lot of other people's butts. I know. I'm not saying... I'm saying I am. I'm saying I love when poe does that because it's like i literally go like not love i just go daddy's here little man you know like i just every time he needs me every time i'm walking down the bike trail and i see somebody else's dog yeah assuming the position and they look over yeah and they look at me yeah it's oh god it feels i just can't do it well i don't what i I want to do is scream at the dog owner don't let that dog look at me I feel like a cat's ability to look into your soul is far superior to that of their canine. The only thing cats are good at is destroying your furniture. Yeah, and getting the attention that they they want when they want it, and that's fucking it. And knocking things off of tables. Yeah, knocking cups of water onto laptops or other other gear. It's 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 timeless. (laughs) People, it's cute. I don't know. Um, So. By the way, you can you can address all correspondence directly to Levi via right. the uh, well-adjusted Instagram account. Right. I am looking forward to some letters that I will hand write you. Look, if I you... love. I, I, I I like dogs, and I would never mistreat a dog. Mm-hmm. I just that thing that they do. I can't have one. That's all right. Um, my the the one thing I took from this uh, socially that you know I always uh, love to to see this in films, and it's such a big 
kind of like almost horror trope now is the the generation gap you know the you know let's let's just go ahead and kill off the generation before us they're only holding us back you know well that opening scene where they're killing all the adults mm-hmm. yeah or you know isaac has assumed power and instructed mm-hmm. all the little kids and they say in that opening scene that like the adults have been going to their regular church but increasingly the kids have been going to like the cornfields with Isaac on right. Sunday, and right. why nobody thought that was a problem? Yeah, <laughs> and shut it down. Who who can say? But you know, there's it's that scene in the diner where they've decided they're going to kill all of their parents. Yeah. at once, so they poison the coffee, mm-hmm. and then there's Malachi, yeah, and uh, two or three other guys <laughs> in there with like what, like they're they're farm implements, right? They're not mm-hmm. like kitchen knives. They're like. Yeah, I don't know what they were. That's like, some sort of special corn instrument? Yeah. God, corn. I never want to see corn again. Yeah. Well, you've seen the film 25 yeah. times, you said. And I will watch it again. Oh, my God. So that's like what I took from the film was the, yeah, the <laughs> the generation gap thing. So sh- so this was a short story. Oh, God. Are we going to do this? Yeah. Oh, we're okay. going to do it. Um, I, 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 I get why. So, Jonathan... You prefer the novel over the short story, correct? It's not even that I prefer it. Um, Okay. Here's the thing. Right. Here's the thing. So I I made the great tragic mistake of getting an MFA in creative writing. And that's not a brag, humble or otherwise. I'll never financially (laughs) recover. Right. Um, And still, to this day, in creative writing workshops across the country for fiction, Mm -hmm. the the model – that you study, and the thing that they try to teach you to write is a short story, mm-hmm. which in today's market, the world being what it is, is about as effective as teaching someone to carve the most exquisite cuneiform fucking tablet in history. Well, so Because you might make the most exquisite cuneiform tablet in history, and you know mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. No one's going to give a shit yeah. <laughs> because people don't read cuneiform tablets. <laughs> So why why do people not read short stories? Is it because why? We talked about this a lot in those in those same workshops. And the argument for the short story is is that we're all famously told over and over again that our attention spans are shrinking. Yes. Right? It's, it's evident. Is it? I, there's, a, there's a nuance here I'm going to get to. But we're okay. all told over and over again that our intention spans are shrinking. Right. And we notice it on ourselves with the way that we behave online, That's right? What I Constantly was gonna refreshing say. things. That's and, what I was going to say. You know, we want that dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. Um, you've seen what an Instagram whore I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> please follow and like. Uh, <laughs> um, Shameless. So if our attention spans are that short, then a story that only, you know, 12, 15 pages tops, maybe mm-hmm. shorter. Mm-hmm. Like, why shouldn't that be the most popular right. literary genre? Right. But it's not. People would overwhelmingly rather read a 900-page fantasy novel or a 900-page anything or or a series of 12 novels that just goes on forever. They would overwhelmingly rather read that than read a short story. I, I can't for the life of me understand why, but I got some theories. Okay. Tell me. Shoot. Number one, mm-hmm. paradoxically, short stories are harder to read than novels. Uh, because you have to grasp so much and so little time. For the time. same reason that poems are harder to read yeah. than novels. Mm-hmm. Because every single word matters. Right. And because because they're so compressed, they have to work in a specific way. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with how they work... I think I taught English comp 
uh, for two semesters. Yeah. Um, when I was a grad student. And English Comp 2, back then, it's different now, but back then, um, you know, the theory behind English Comp is that you were trying to teach people to do analytical writing. And it just so happened, as a sort of historical tradition, that you used literature as the subject matter mm-hmm. for historical writing. Yeah. And so what they told us in our teacher training is, listen, your job is not to teach literature. You're supposed to, you're teaching writing, analytical writing, and... Again, literature just happens to be the subject matter. But what happened when you got in the classroom is that nobody knew how to read a short story. Mm -hmm. And so you had to spend time teaching them literature because otherwise they couldn't analyze it in the first place. Yeah. I So I've read novels and short stories painstakingly this way, which is I will read it until I fully comprehend it. And then that means sometimes it takes me, you know, it took me a year to read the third Game of Thrones book, you know, because it was 1300 pages. But I wanted to understand every fucking name I read and where it led to and who it came from and blah, blah, blah. There are short stories. I mean, I'm maligning short stories I'm right now. Sh- that's why I like short stories but is I can do that. Yeah, you, and they're easier to study. And I did the mm. same thing, like uh, Tobias Wolf's Hunters in the Snow. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I sent that to you. I can't. I couldn't tell you how many times I I, I read that. I wrote it out. It's really good, like word to word, to understand how it works. Yeah, the, the trick that um, I read Hemingway used to do. Back which when was, I still had dreams of being a writer. Which was what's the trick Hemingway did? Oh, just writing out stories that you admire. Oh wow! No, I've never thought about. I you know I'll write out Lovecraft quotes in mind but no like the whole story like either typing it out or writing it out word for word to make yourself see every single sentence and the progression of it and how it's the structure and how it's put together so short stories are more convenient that would be my argument for why i figured they would be popular today but the Uh, other thing is is i think not only are they harder to read yeah i mean time-wise you're right they're more convenient but if you don't know how they work if you're if you're sort of halfway functionally illiterate, which yeah. I think most people are when it comes to how literature works, I don't mean that as a dig. I mean, I think, yeah. look, I think most people in the country. They oh, start, come on, Jonathan. <laughs> Get them. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. I know. I know. And you know, after the day I've had, it's not yes. easy. I know. I realize that, Jonathan. You're doing great. Let's oh, go. Oh, we're going to get into it. Oh, yeah. How much Prosecco is left? Um, <laughs> Here's my theory about American literacy. All of us, or almost all of us, know the alphabet. Mm -hmm. And so we understand how letters make words. Right. And again, a great majority of us understand how words make sentences. Mm -hmm. But what falls apart is the next step in terms of how sentences make paragraphs. That's Mm -hmm. a smaller number. Mm -hmm. And even smaller, like distressingly smaller, is the number of people who understand how paragraphs combine to make documents, whether it's essays or stories or novels, that then go on to make long, nuanced, complicated arguments or present worldviews. Wait, ideas, Jonathan? Ideas, I know. Ideas are terrible. Oh my God, no, I love that. And that's why we hide them in books that no one knows how to read anymore. Um so, reading comprehension. You're telling me not everyone took a text analysis class? <laughs> <laughs> what 
well, text analysis classes are terrible. Most no, literature they are, classes had, are terrible. I had to take And it's no that. wonder they... I mean, the, the thing that cures most people from ever wanting to read is that lit course they take in high school. No, I understand that. Right. It's so you had to leave. You, you had to read. And don't get me wrong. It's like a, a young kid who was really into, you know... Uh, swords and shields and, and, and bows and arrows, you know, reading the Odyssey was supposed to be life-changing. It, it wasn't. Um, the Iliad, you know, was the same way, you know. Um, and it's sad that that gets lost, but that happens over time, you know. It's, no, but, of course. And, I, and I'm not like an old – I don't want to sound like an old fuddy-duddy that everything, no, yeah. everything new is awful. I mean, you've seen how much time we I spend online. Right. I mean, we, <laughs> right. It's a fair amount. Um, it's my we whole both life research now. and listen to everything we can. So I'm yeah. not somebody that thinks that like everything new is terrible and, and, and necessarily that the loss of something old is horrible. But the reading comprehension thing is distressing to me. But one other point about why paradoxically short stories aren't more popular mm-hmm. is I think it has this something to do with the fact that movies aren't as popular anymore as really good TV series. Yeah, because you got to invest more into it. And I, because I think... I think you're... I think what... Ooh, that's a good... Uh, the thing I haven't that, thought about that, the the movie versus series yeah. uh, thing happening right now. So I think the short story is... Ba- you know, the short story and the movie mm-hmm. are, oh, man, that's, are maybe, very similar. Maybe right? that's why I love the short story. I don't know. See, I would see a movie as a novel and nah, you can't, a miniseries as a series. You can't do a, a novel. Yeah. Every novel that they've tried to make a movie out of it usually does not go well. Well, you're absolutely you, right. You just can't yeah compress it right yeah so a novel i would compare to like a really great tv show yeah. like to me breaking bad yeah is as it's good as any novel i've ever read right artistically okay. yeah okay um and there's something about our cultural moment we want that absorption yeah we want we want to live in that other universe we want to escape yeah yeah and a short story pulls you out of reality for just a minute and again it's harder to read you have to know how to read it and short stories are just so much harder to write you know, there's, there's that old joke. Was it Mark Twain who said, "If I'd had more time, I would have written you a shorter letter." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Might not have been. Twain. I don't know if that was Twain. I don't. I've heard that before, and I don't remember who said that. But you know, That's you're funny, you're writing short stories now, right? It's incredibly difficult. Yeah, it is to compress like to for a really good one. The kind of compression that you have to do. It's similar to the, the compression you have to, to do start. in a really good poem. It's easy to yeah. start. Um, the shorts also don't have to follow that like three or five act structure either. No, short short stories can be deeply weird and, yeah. and invent Which is, their own structure. That's kind of what draws me to them. Um, yeah. Do you think uh, King preferred short stories or novels? Like, he didn't care, I guess. He was just cranking out yeah, that's a really material. Good, but. I'm trying to remember if he's ever stated a, a conscious preference. I know what Love, Lovecraft was wanted to write novels, but was so... Um, indecisive <laughs> he he couldn't you know like he he just the closest thing to a novel he has is at the mountains of madness and technically it's a it's a novella i think stephen king is an incredibly underrated uh short story writer yeah didn't he win a no henry for one of his yeah and it might have been under a pseudonym too because a lot of his shorts were uh were under pseudonyms yeah, well, for a long time, you know, when he started writing, you could make money writing short stories, yeah, which is an insane idea today. I know, and that breaks my heart, dude, you know, but... Hey, man, um, I, you know, I wrote a book of fucking poetry, so I, I get right. obscure emotional attachments to forms that died a century ago. Um, 
So I looked up uh, the most famous short stories. Just that's that's all I looked up was the most famous short stories. A huge number of them are either horror or weird tales. So we have like, for instance, uh, The Monkey's Paw by W.W. Jacobs. Yep. Classic. Yeah, that's 1902. We have Charlotte Perkins Gilman's The Yellow Wallpaper from 1892. The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. Your favorite, The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Ambrose's Beerus and Occurrence at Al, Al, Bridge, uh, or Al Creek Bridge in 1890. Those are like... These are all in the top ten of what this website said is are like. Was a, a good man is hard to find on there? Yes, Telltale Heart was so good. Telltale Heart was on there, obviously too. But what's your? Do you have a favorite short story? Are we talking uh, genre specific? One of my favorite horror no. short stories. But yeah, I'd like to know your horror. I don't give a damn about well, your shit. <laughs> one of my favorite horror short story writers. Period is Joe Lansdale. Okay, um, and. Listeners might a little you, after my time period. Yeah, so he was in uh, that eighties group. I think is when he started. Yeah, but he did. Um, he wrote the story that uh, Bubba Hotep was based on that yeah, movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's got a short story called "Night They Missed the Horror Show," mm-hmm. which is so bleak and black and southern and. There isn't a ray of light in that story. You hate the protagonists from the moment it opens. Oh, jeez. And then they meet a couple of people even worse than they are. Um, one, oh, wow. <laughs> one warning about that <laughs> story. I, <laughs> yeah. One warning about that story is that it is about two. Well, it's about an incredibly racist group of people. Mm-hmm. So you're you're going to yeah. get a lot of that. Um, and it's in the South. Do so. you know when it was written? 80s night they missed the horror show i think was like 80 late 80s i'm okay. gonna say but i could be wrong yeah cool but joe lansdale in general has a lot of great mm-hmm. short stories i mean if you're talking no you know out of the horror genre then alice monroe mm-hmm. is probably one of oh if, wow yeah if not the greatest practitioner <sighs> i like you know and on the horror side uh thomas Ligotti. yeah oh yeah thank course, you for mentioning him of course him. Yeah, fantastic awesome um you know this uh, some of our listeners know this. Um, I've cataloged over 290 short stories that I have read or listened to over the last five years, all in the horror or weird genre. But they all were most, not all, most of them, about 95% of them were written before 1950. Um, some of Robert Block's stuff, obviously, is after that, some of the Ligotti stuff, and, the, and there's even some King in there. And if you guys want to get into some really badass horror shorts, uh, I am going to post a link to those short stories. And I have starred the ones that particularly moved me in a very creepy way. Yeah, that's you did a lot of work on that, man. That's a long list. I, I, I'm just kind of, I don't know. I guess the correct term would be obsessed. Um, but, and it's ob- obviously it's what inspired me to start writing, but. I do this with people. I do this with actors and artists and musicians and writers. I lock on to a certain person and I I don't know if it's like attempt to become them or if I am just super uh, inspired by them. And so it changes my life to a certain point. I think that's normal. I think, you know, it's like that, that old trick of, of completely writing out or copying down a story that you like. If you're, if you're trying to learn to do something, mm-hmm. the first thing you do is study what you consider 
uh, good examples or masterpieces of the genre you're working in. Yeah, so I got a, a, a huge chunk of these from uh, Lovecraft's Supernatural Horror and Literature uh, essay. I also um, looked at some titles that were in old Weird Tales magazine, which if you haven't heard of that, that's like the magazine that put like Robert Block and, and Lovecraft and uh, other writers on the map. I think um, I, I have um, a rejection letter from that magazine when it was resurrected in like the 90s. Yeah, they tried. They tried again. Yeah. yeah. It's not. So it was ran really poorly. Uh, even back in Lovecraft's day, they didn't get paid until the story was published, not when it was accepted. No, no, that was common until magazines died. Yeah. Oh, oh, after after yeah. because it wasn't common when Lovecraft was writing that like dude when I was doing um, but it's it was common. I was writing uh, like technical like technical articles for like consumer magazines. How to do X Y Z for your Mac? Yeah, in oh, like man two thousand, mm-hmm. and that's the way it worked. You got paid on publication. Oh, that's dirty. And if they sat on it for ninety days, that's the thing. Is like. <laughs> No wonder he he ate crackers. It's like and he, died they, they of stomach cancer. And they weren't paying him, <laughs> but or none of those poor writers, Clark Ashton Smith, who's another fucking genius in my book. But. Again, it's just you know the the economics are archaic. The form is archaic at this point. I understand that there are beautiful examples you of it. See that, the romanticism that, behind I, it. I, and, I totally get the romanticism of it. It's just like and that's anti. That's not very Lovecraftian of me. Um, yeah, you know he he saw the. <laughs> grotesque or grotesque realism and everything and so it's just that you know if you want to make money as a writer then you'd better be pitching stuff to hbo and netflix or you need to write or you need to be pitching like three or four book fantasy series yeah yeah that is the thing now with and i don't feel like was it always that way or did that come from the the huge popularity of the lord of the rings films everybody becoming really into fantasy because that's kind of what got it for me was like I was already into to Sword and Shield, like I said earlier, but then the Lord of the Rings films came out and I bought every fucking fantasy novel I could get my hands on. What, um, what are those? Who wrote and the, then Game of Thrones? Of course, I think came it along. started earlier than that. The you know, the elf books, um, Terry Brooks. Yeah, Terry Brooks. Um, so that was way before the Lord of the Rings movies, you know, and those were hugely yeah. popular. That's true. That's but true. What, but what drives I think part of what drove part of what drove that you know, popularity of those multi-book series is just the death of the mid-list. Yeah. You know, you used to be able to make a living as a middling novelist. Right. There was like, there were so many novels and so many readers Mm -hmm. that you could be a sort of middle of the road novelist and you weren't rich Mm -hmm. and you weren't famous, but you were fine. You could pay your bills and keep writing books. And that does not exist anymore. No, uh, uh, the, Fantasy we still have series. a creative writing master's degree, yeah. you know, at every community college in America now, yeah. despite the fact that there's no way for those people to ever, ever. support themselves. Yeah. But Oh, you're talking about like getting like almost any art degree nowadays? <laughs> or yeah, any any degree in the humanities basically. Yeah. If you're passionate about it and it has nothing to do with numbers, good luck. Yeah, if it, <laughs> if it doesn't help you build an app. Yeah, or or yeah, you know, whatever. I don't, I can't even begin to like even pretend that I know how to talk about another path besides besides chasing my passions. I I just don't. I don't know. I don't know. Look, the people who get like financial advice, or you know, 
financial degrees and you know economic degrees or whatever they're even called. As, as much as I will uh, <laughs> rail against pursuing archaic passions, I also understand what happens when you have a passion and don't pursue it. Like it's painful. Yeah. It, All I'm my only yeah. argument for everybody out there who wants to write mm-hmm. is you know be a little bit practical. Oh yeah. And and at least lean into what might get read. Yeah. Also be ready for some uh, rejection. Like if you can't handle oh yeah. rejection, you can't do it. You know, and that's sad. But it's at the same time, it's it's that's real. You know, I wanted to go off on short stories because this was based off uh, Stephen King's short story, and I just love my short stories, and you know that. So thank you for letting me do that, Jonathan. Um, but they do adapt so much easier to movies. I think no, yeah, they and that's why like so many of his short stories are films. You know. Uh, 1922, mm-hmm. Gerald's Game, you know, all that. Um, those are both Netflix films now. But, and uh, novellas, too, to a lesser extent, mm-hmm. uh, condense pretty well the movies. I think The Green Mile, Stephen King's The Green yeah. Mile, was originally a novella. Yeah, I think so, too. I don't know. I feel like I saw that on I bookshelves. I think though. I'm right on that. Um, but, like, you know, Stand By Me was a novella. Right. There's another famous example that did really well. The Shawshank Redemption. Right. That was a novella. God. He's written some really thoughtful human things. Yeah. And then he's written some very smack your wife on the face things. Then there's the Tommyknockers. Yeah. Did (laughs) you ever read that? Fuck no. It's so bad. (laughs) I wouldn't dare. It's so bad. I wouldn't dare. Don't read or watch the Tommyknockers. Did they make a movie? I'm dead positive they did. I only I remember reading the uh, the novel and and I read it when I was young and even then I was like I'm not sure where we're going here, Steve. This is man. This is hard to follow. But he later said that the Tommyknockers in particular was was like an allegory for his own um, drug abuse. Oh be- wow! Before he got sober. Oh okay, well, that's interesting. I don't I don't know if I've seen or read that at all. But again, I'm not that big of a King fan. I just really respect I'm his bring you master around. of the genre, you know, his mastery of the genre. You know, I read that fucking book he read, he wrote that was on amazing. Writing? Yeah. yeah. Well, on writing and, um, Oh, dance, macabre. dance macabre. Yeah. Macabre. Our, our Bible on this podcast. Yeah. Cause the man is very knowledgeable in the genre. There's, uh, you know, I'm listening to those Lovecraft letters right now. There's a lot of, uh, books or essays written on the genre, uh, pre Lovecraft even. So, yeah. um, I, I, very anxious to get my hands on those. Um, was The Mist a short story or a novella? I think it was a short story. Yeah, look that up. Um, but The Mist is another fantastic example of a of a short, whether it was a short story or a novella. It's a novella. Okay, adaptation. Because that was a fantastic adaptation. Yeah. Even if the ending did make me want to kill myself. Oh, my God. What a bleak, dark ending. Yeah, you talk about that's an That's your ending. kind of ending. Yes, it is. I'm that sorry. is a hell of an ending there. Um, speaking of hell of an ending, uh, <laughs> if you guys would, uh, you got anything else? Number one, uh, other than just to say that, look, I know children of the corn, uh, is not, <laughs> see, there's a reason it didn't win an Oscar. Like I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as setup goes mm-hmm. and then it lags a little in the middle, I think the, the middle's, it does. A, the, the middle's a lot of like, do. yeah, the middle is a lot that. of our protagonist just being chased around town by I hate angry children with I knives. I literally like skip 10 seconds ahead 
for like three or four times. Lots of parts know. of the middle are skippable. But the beginning, it's a fantastic setup. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're driving. Oh, the setup is great. And I remember this from when I was a kid. Like The happy couple. Yeah. You know, they, they leave their motel. They're driving to what? His new job. He's a yeah. new doctor. He's gonna, in Seattle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're and, driving cross country. And as they're driving down the highway, uh, something they don't know what yet leaps out in front of them. They hit it and mm-hmm. discover that it's a boy. Mm-hmm. With a with a suitcase, right. he's dead. Uh, but then, because this guy is a doctor, mm-hmm. he examines the body and realizes he's not dead because we hit him with the car. He had his throat. He's slit. dead because somebody mm-hmm. cut his throat. Such a good like. And then boom, like there's your story. Yeah, you're like, for the races. What yeah. are you going to do? You're yeah. in the middle of nowhere, pre cell phones. There's a dead boy mm-hmm. like on the highway, and of course you can't leave him, yeah. right? So they got to they put him, they wrap him up put them in the trunk right. and like responsible people like we got to find a town with a police station mm-hmm. and explain what happened it's a good it's a really i love i love when horror writers do they take a very normal situation and you know something's going to happen that just turns it all upside down but it has to be something almost it doesn't have to be but to, to for me it has to be something that that has some kind of like mystery or or obviously doesn't belong. Yeah. So in that situation, it's the 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 cut across his throat. You know, uh oh, and that's the whole moment where you have your story. Now go. You like know. just accidentally running somebody over is bad enough. Oh yeah, no, that, running a kid over is yeah is the start of a horror story to begin with. You know, but then adding that to it, yeah, it makes it. You almost go, ooh, okay. And the other thing, uh, the other thing that's just noteworthy to mention in this story is that we have a uh, a young girl with powers. He always has young girls with powers. It's not always girls, but it yeah. often is. Like in yeah. in the Green Mile, you know, John Coffey's not a girl; he yeah. has yeah. powers. But, but anyway, Carrie, you know, but like Carrie yeah. or Firestarter, Firestarter, yeah. Which is a prequel to Carrie. Or I guess, the yeah. girl in Pet Cemetery. That's what I was going to say. Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery is yeah. very similar in that you have a girl who has premonitions in her dreams. Right. And the, the innocent Second girl in this sight. one. Yeah. Or whatever the same they thing. call it. Yeah. It's just interesting to see those, those sorts of things well, yeah, pop the, back up. The Shining, too. Yeah. Because in that it's case, all, it's a boy. It's all his universe. You know, he. You know, I didn't realize until I kind of once I got into Lovecraft, I was kind of snooty about getting into anything that was post Lovecraft. But I remember reading how much King was influenced by Howard. And so I was like, okay, well, let's see how. And he creates his own mythos with yeah. with um, Shawshank and uh, what's the town that they're Castle Castle Rock. Castle Rock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what's the other one? There's Castle Rock and there's um Oh, his oh other I can't favorite remember one it. Where where it takes place. Oh, Derry. Yeah, Derry. Yeah. So yeah, it's I like the, they're all realistic places that could absolutely take play or could be real, but they serve the story in some way, shape or form. And that's their goal. You know, I like that. It's a really neat little trick. Well, look, I long ago resigned myself to the fact that I would die at my children's hands. So, yeah. so, you know, this movie for me is just like my future. Oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. 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 I'm not going to say this film made me not want to have kids anymore but i still don't want to have kids anyway so um, well you know, I, yeah. yeah i mean i've been i've been working on that on jonathan's my greatest uh contraceptive well, it's just so great to have somebody listen to me i've had all right. these friends and i, I tell them you know don't do this and they do it i know they're like god i'm so tired and i'm like yeah i told you i've got i got um told the other day i sound old by whom 
That was a, was ra- a college student. rando. Yeah, it was a college <laughs> student. Yeah. We live in a college town, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, most of you that listen to us do as well. So that's no news to you. But do you remember that story? I, I think I told you um, I, there was a time I, I forgot my charger when I was in the coffee shop mm-hmm. um, and my laptop was dead. But there was a group of young ladies sitting over there with the same kind of computer. So I went over there and asked if I could borrow their charger. One of mm-hmm. them. They're very nice. I said, yes. Um, so I'm using it for a little while. And about an hour later, you know, um, she comes back to get it, taps me on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. She says, excuse me, sir. Are you done with that? Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, I am. I'm, I'm, thank you very much. Um, am I really old enough to be called a sir? And she was like, yeah, you're definitely old enough to be a sir. Well, Jonathan, you've got, you know, gray in your goatee. Is it the gray in the beard or is it the growing bald spot? No, it's the salt and pepper beard, which I think is awesome. And I can't wait till that starts happening for me. But, which is why if there were a gay pill, I would put it in your drink and I would take it to stop it. Stop it. <laughs> in a heartbeat. God, well, Jonathan and I have a lot in common. That doesn't mean we would have a great relationship. I don't, I, as I, I've learned before. I think we both know that we would have a great well, relationship. Well, we would we would crank out some great weird fiction. I'll tell you that much. And podcasts? Um, and podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of want to tease what my idea for the next episode is. So Hit it. Growing up, my brother, you know, all five-year-olds watch the same film 120 times, correct? Or... If you're lucky, it's only 120. Yeah, yeah. So that film for my brother and I, at one point, was uh, King Kong versus Godzilla. So Godzilla versus Kong just released on right. HBO Max. Um, I want to cover the 1954 Gojira. Number one, it's because I want to fight for the fact that it's a horror movie. I know I've I've seen a lot of people state that it's not a horror film. You know, it's a monster movie. Which to me means it's a horror film, but then you have like Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, which is a monster movie that's not a fucking horror film. But okay, I could, yeah, I see the argument there. Yeah, so we're going to do Gajira and we're going to talk about it. You know, if it's a horror film, if it's not, we'll talk about why it's a horror film in Japan and its super duper popularity throughout the ages. Godzilla has like 20 something sequels, it's like Bond status. I'm down. <laughs> <laughs>